0: Father, as we come to your word this morning, it is with rejoicing that you sanctify your people through your truth, that uh, your truth uh, will triumph in history over all nations, that they will all bow before you and acknowledge you as King and as Lord. And uh, Father, I pray as we plant the seeds that uh, our faith would continue to grow, our hope in you would continue to increase, that uh, we would believe that there will be a mighty harvest that will be uh, reaped in this city and across this nation. And I pray that you would anoint my lips and enable me to faithfully bring your word and uh, help us uh, not just to be hearers, but doers of it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, and I want to read verses 6 through 10 once again. The inerrant word of God, which he speaks to your soul. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Amen. Maybe may be seated. We've come to the fifth law of harvest. This, too, is an important one, and it's a call to persevere, a call to persevere. A perseverance implies that uh, things get tough sometimes and we feel like giving up and that's exactly what Paul is indicating in verse 9 he says let us not grow weary weariness implies you know that uh, we uh we're, we're, we're getting tired of what we're doing let us not grow weary while doing good it also says let us not lose heart uh, and so this Call to perseverance in a nutshell is this. Here's point number five: We reap the full harvest of the good only if we persevere. The evil comes to harvest on its own. Now we might think if we've planted seed, that's all there is to it. We've planted the seed, and now it's got to grow into a harvest. And uh, just as an example, a person who uh, holds to the carnal uh, Christian uh, uh, theory. Uh, he may say, you know, if God has planted a seed of life in this person, even if he has never sowed anything to the Spirit, even if he is not persevering, uh, surely he will be saved. Uh, do we really have to persevere in between? And anybody who's a farmer, anybody who's a gardener knows there's a lot more to gardening than just planting. We've also got to weed, we've got to water, we've got to fertilize, Uh, what are some of the other things they do, detasseling, I mean there's lots of things the farmer has to persevere in if he's going to see a harvest uh, coming uh, uh, into his life. And there have been several times in my life where I have really lost heart and uh, felt like I just could not persevere. Uh, One of them was when I was not much older than little Elizabeth here, um, I uh, uh, was on a hot, sunny day taken out to the garden. Now, my parents had to grow everything that they ate. They lived in the mission field. Uh, this was in Ethiopia. And uh, I remember hours upon hours of shelling beans and hours upon hours of shelling the kernels of corn off of the uh, dried corn cobs. And actually, that wasn't too bad because at least there was family around then. You could talk. You could interact. And uh, just as a side point, uh, I think this is one of the reasons why it says in Hebrews that we ought not to forsake, forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And he goes on to say, if we do forsake, we, can, we may fall away. He's tying it in with perseverance, that this, uh, this body life, people encouraging one another, exhorting to good works. those are one of the things that spurs us on uh, to perseverance. But anyway, back to my story. Now, that wasn't so bad. What I remember—the time feeling like giving up—was my dad gave me a hoe, took me out to this garden, which I looked at. It just seemed to stretch on forever. I mean, if there was anything that would have captured my mind as to what infinity was, <laughs> this was it. It's like this job is never going to get done. And I remember just losing all heart and starting to cry and saying, "Daddy, I'm never going to get done with this job." And my dad was not one to quickly let me give up on that, and uh, he told me. You know, don't worry about whether you're going to get the whole garden done. What I want you to do is just hoe for for an hour. And he showed me how to hoe, and he says, I'll come back in an hour. We'll celebrate how much uh, uh, of this uh, garden you've gotten hoed. And that helped a little bit. But uh, we are called in the Christian life to persevere, and sometimes Christians feel like I did when I was that little boy standing in front of the garden. They look at their life and they see all of the, the lust and the, the envy that they have to overcome, and they look at the, the um, you know, poor communication skills that they've had and uh, their relationship. And they, they see so many things they've got to work on, and they feel like giving up. I'm never going to be able to accomplish what God has called me to do. They become very discouraged. And I want you to turn with me to Mark 4, and we'll come right back to this Galatians 6 uh, passage. But a person might be tempted to think, look, I'm a Christian, I pray to the Lord, I come to church, Uh, what more can the Lord expect from me? It's just so hard to be standing out here in the sun and uh, weeding, am I really expected to do this? It's just one little sin, what difference does it make? Do I have to weed? And uh, anybody who's a gardener knows, if you don't weed, uh, what happens to your garden is what happens to ours every year. Uh, We get more weeds than we get garden. You know, you come out there seven feet high. No, that's not quite true. But there was one year, two years, where we went to um, uh, Canada. We went to Minnesota when we came back. We were gone so long that things took over. Weeds don't have to be planted. They just seem to sprout all on their own, don't they? They just seem to take over. But we do need to weed, fertilize, and water. Now, take a look here at Mark uh, 4 and verse 7. This is a parable of Christ. Says Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. And then look down at verses 18 through 19 where he interprets this. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world. The deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And so he's likening these three things to weeds that if they're not weeded, if they're not pulled out, are going to choke out the effectiveness of that word. In other words, it's not going to bear fruit. It's not going to bear a harvest into our, into our lives. And um, the first thing that he mentions there is the cares of the world. Um, believe me, if you allow the tyranny of the urgent to block out the important, if you allow it to take out your relationship uh, in, in, in devotions, and your reading of the Word, eventually it will choke things out. We've got to make sure we're taking dominion of our schedule. We're not just letting life happen to us. Too many people, they just do the next thing that comes along, whatever life throws at them. And what ends up happening is life, other things take dominion of them and of their schedule. And he says, you've got to do some weeding. You've got to make sure that that does not happen. Take dominion over your schedule. The second thing that he mentions is the deceitfulness of riches. Now, how in the world does riches become deceitful? Riches, I believe, become deceitful in our minds. It's our attitude when we think that they can provide contentment, security, happiness, uh, whatever, when only God can supply that. If you feel right now that you need even one more dollar in order to be content, in order to be satisfied, let me tell you, you're not going to be satisfied even if God gives you a million dollars okay uh we we've got to learn that uh, this deceitfulness of riches doesn't matter how much you have it's always telling you you pursue more you're going to feel satisfied and then it lets you down you're always going to need more and i want you to notice he does not say riches is the weed riches is a wonderful thing praise god bring it on lord at least if i can handle it not too much more than i can handle but riches is not the weed. That's a tool that we can take as dominion if we've got a steward's heart, if we can handle it rightly. He says it's the deceitfulness of riches that are those thorns that completely choke that out. And so if it's become an idol in your life, if, um, if, if money is the thing that you think is going to bring you uh, satisfaction, contentment, security, whatever, you've got to go back to the Lord and say, Lord, adjust my heart. Help me to find my security in you. And until you do that, then money, the, the, the deceitfulness of riches, will be, be a problem. And then he says that we must weed out the desires for other things. And we sometimes call this coveting or envy. And we've got to be ruthless with, us, with it or it will suck us dry. At our last house, we had an evergreen tree that was right uh, in our garden. And on the other end of the garden, corn stalks would be head tall. And on this end, the corn stalks were just like this low. It just seems to suck all of the nutrients out of life. And uh, if you've got any coveting, any envy, you have not learned contentment, you need to begin to apply the principles we've looked at in past sermons on that, uh, on that contentment. Now, there's many other sins we need to weed out. Those are the big ones Christ brings to the forefront. And so we've got to persevere in weeding. We've got to persevere in watering. We've got to uh, continually be dependent upon the Holy Spirit to be watering all of the fields that we have, including the financial fields that we looked at, and marriage, and some of the other areas of prosperity in this series on the Christian and prosperity. We've got to say, Lord, I need you. I truly believe. Without you, I can do nothing. And so come and water my life. Enable me to walk in the power of your Holy Spirit. And anything that quenches the Holy Spirit or grieves the Holy Spirit, sort of like dirt clods, you know, in the irrigation ditch, take it out of the way so that you can be walking in his, in, in his empowering. Another area of perseverance between planting and harvest is fertilizing. And I like to think of the fertilizer as the conditions that God puts upon our prosperity. Read in Deuteronomy 28, and you'll see God puts conditions. We need to be faithful to his word if we're going to be rewarded by the Lord with prosperity and blessing. We need to be faithful to the word. We need to be quick to repent. We need to be humble. We need to be prayerful. And so there are conditions, not conditions for salvation. Actually, there are. God, Christ met them all. But he stirs up in his people conditions through which he will bless uh, his people. Another way of, uh, of saying that is that God, by preserving us, enables us to persevere. But we still have to do the persevering. Here's is Second John 1.8. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things that we work for. But that we may receive a full reward he says it's very possible for a christian to have his harvest diminished in life as well as in eternity in terms of rewards now here's what happens uh, when a person gets started uh, and maybe counseling or he's trying to overcome some particular besetting sin or maybe he's trying to develop a new christian habit and he does sort of like uh, maybe you've seen this frequently we have a new year's resolution And we're all pumped about it, you know, we're getting going, excited, enthusiastic about it for three or four days, and then we fall, and uh, maybe we'll try getting back into it again, and we fall because it's so hard to overcome those sins. And what happens over a period of repeated failings is that Christian begins to become uh, maybe cynical about the Christian life, and he'll look at other Christians, and he says, man, they say that they're really entering into the victory and the power of the Holy Spirit, conquering sins. Is it really happening? Maybe they become cynical or they meet. maybe they think maybe they're doing it, but I can't. And if I'm going to belong, I've got to put on a facade that everything's okay with me and I don't dare admit to other people I've got some problems that I'm working through. Let me tell you, to the day you die, there's always going to be some weeds. <laughs> That's just the way gardens work. There's always some weeds that you're going to have to uh, weed out. And so what happens is these uh, Christians... Uh, they uh, uh, they they've in enough times where they don't think about the harvest, they don't think about compounded growth over time and how encouraging that is. All they can think about is how hot the sun is, how miserable I feel, how discouraging this work looks, and they want to give up. And... Uh, uh, perseverance is therefore something that's so critical to the Christian life. Now, today I'm not going to be applying the laws of harvest to economics and marriage and politics like I've been doing in the past. I'm going to be doing it through some of the struggles that you guys have been going through and, um, uh, in your own individual life. It's the oil of the machinery. This perseverance hangs all of these eight laws of harvest together. Now, let me just uh, illustrate it this way. Just pretend that I'm a millionaire. Well, maybe nowadays with inflation, I'd be a billionaire. And uh, I can just throw money away left and right. And I just feel you guys are such good workers that I want to hire you on. And uh, you're just worth this wage that I'm going to give to you. I give you an option. You can either take a $1,000 a day for 30 days. And uh, that's a fair chunk of change, $30,000. Or I'll pay you a penny on day one. And we'll double it every day for 30 days. So it'd be two cents on day two. You've heard this illustration before, right? I've given this to you, so you know what the answer is. It'd be um, uh, four cents on day three and eight cents on day four, and it just keeps doubling. And I ask you, which one do you want? Now, if you're smart, you already know the answer. Those of you who have heard this before, you're going to take the penny that keeps doubling over time because of the power of compounded growth uh, over time. Now, initially, it seems to pay so little. After 10 days of hard work in the hot sun, you're about to get heat stroke, you know, working out here in the garden, you go to get your wages and you just know it's going to be small, $5.12. $5.12, I mean, it's almost insulting, you know, for all of the work and the effort that you've put in. But that's where faith is so important in the Christian life. God, across all of life, says these principles are universal. It doesn't matter if you get forgiveness, these principles are going to continue to function. And so we've got to be, we've got to be long sighted. Uh, and, uh, uh, what happens, you, you keep, um, slogging it out at the end of, uh, day, uh, 10. Uh, you have, uh, what is it here? I calculated it out. Maybe, well, here's fi- day 15. You get $163.84. And that's where things really start taking off. On the 20th day, you're making over $5,000 on that day. And by the end of the month, you're a multi-millionaire. Okay? And so over time, this principle is really powerful. That's one of the reasons why it's very important to start saving your money early in life, right? Right when you're kids, not spending everything that you make. Uh, you need to be investing that because the longer the period, the greater the compounded growth. If you can invest for at least 20 years that money and gaining interest on it it really grows now somebody mentioned last time that uh, you know what happens if you don't you haven't started saving until you're um, 60 or you haven't started investing in in some other areas until you're 60 or 65 doesn't matter still plant somebody brought up the illustration that uh, god can make some harvest grow real quick right that gourd that grew up over jonah's head who was that mentioned that was that you larry okay Here's Overnight, it says, this gourd grew up and it provided shade over Jonah's head. But generally speaking, we need to be thinking of the long term. God can bring into our lives very speedy returns. Now, here's the problem. The people who are trying to overcome so many of these sins in their lives, they're brand new believers, they're immature. And last week, we saw from the previous law that it's the very nature of immaturity to not be future-oriented. And so the very people who need to be driven by this vision and this hope of the harvest and the future are the people who are the least driven by it. If they don't get an immediate result right now, they feel discouraged and they're ready to give up. And uh, so what happens, A person gets up to, oh, day 10, and uh, he's getting $5.12. And Satan tempts him and says, you know, it's really not worth it. You put in a long, hard day. And uh, you don't need to water, you don't need to weed, it's just one little sin. What difference does it make? And you listen to Satan, you sin, and it sets you back to day five. And then you repent, and you say, oh, this is not right. And you start slogging it through again, and you get up to day ten, and you sin, and you go back to day five. Maybe not back to the beginning, or maybe you sin a bit, quite a bit, and you go back to day two. And um, maybe sometimes you get up to day fifteen. But you're really not entering into the exciting aspect of compounded growth uh, one of the things that Jay Adams and many other people have pointed out and I have certainly found it to be true in the counseling that I've gone through if there is a sin that is deeply rooted in a person's life some habit uh, uh, of life it usually takes about six weeks of daily effort before the person comes to the place where they're no longer really being pulled by that sin and they can do the righteous habit without even thinking. It just comes naturally to them. And so what we've got to do is we've got to encourage these people over that third week hump, you know, into weeks four and five and six where they're really sailing along and they're rejoicing in the harvest that God is bringing into their lives. We've got to uh, help them to get through that. And... Um, There's a number of things that can help with that. Uh, One is giving people hope. Uh, One of the reasons why I am uh, not supportive of people saying that they're panmillennialists is because God has given us eschatology to give us faith, to drive us, to give us enthusiasm concerning the future, to give us um, expectation, great expectations of God, and a willingness to attempt great things for him. But hope for your individual life is very important as well. And there are hundreds, perhaps thousands of scriptures that you can, you can memorize, put under your belt, that give tremendous hope that God will accomplish the, the uh, you know, when you're tempted, Satan tempts you and says, oh, give it up, Phil, you're never going to get over this. And you say, no, I'm not going to believe this because God's word says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It says, faithful is he uh, who has said it, who also will do it. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And you resist Satan who's trying to take away your hope. So there's hope that comes from the, the scriptures. There's also accountability. And I mentioned that Hebrews uh, really emphasizes the importance of exhorting one another in the Lord so that we do not grow weary. We do not give up. And there's different ways that we can have accountability. Uh, one of my friends who has struggled uh, with pornography he just knows that's a weak area of his life anytime he goes on a business trip uh, he has a friend that will hold him accountable and he says i want you to call me 10 o'clock tonight and uh, ask me if i've turned on that tv which i'm going to be tempted to do and he doesn't want to lie and doesn't want to have to confess that he's lied and that's just enough of an incentive to help him stay on the on the uh, straight and narrow now if you don't You know, if you want to cheat, anybody can cheat with accountability, right? But this is assuming God's working in your heart and you really want to do that which is right. By the way, there should be several booklets on the back table um, that deal with various aspects of accountability and other steps for conquering pornography that you can share uh, with with other believers. I think you'll find that to be helpful. Um, Home groups is a great way of accountability and ministering in each other's life and And uh, uh, seeking to support, God wants us to be knit together as a body. So accountability. Um, Having successes on smaller tasks. You know, as a child, when my dad helped me to focus not on the whole garden, but just on a few weeds, uh, that gave me some hope. And many times, uh, if we can gain hope by conquering and seeing God's grace working on some of the smaller issues in our lives, it gives us faith to conquer those big ones. So don't be trying to conquer everything at once as the Spirit prompts you. Be working on on these areas, always taking something on and just plain hanging out with God's people. So that's the general principle. We've described the general principle and that could be applied to finances, to your marriage, to whatever. We've got to persevere in investing into, into that uh, relationship. Now what I want to do today is because people have struggled... And wondering, how do we respond in the area of perseverance of the saints? I want to apply it to that because that's what Paul does in Galatians chapter 6. Um, he talks about everlasting life in verse 8. And somebody might say, now, boy, that makes me nervous. When Paul says in, verse, um, uh, in, in these verses here that we will reap if we do not lose heart, verse 9, in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Does that really apply to the everlasting life of verse 8? That just makes me very uncomfortable. Is that not salvation by, uh, by good works? And uh, what I want to point out is that it's not, and I want to look at four theories that are out there of sanctification, contrast three of them with the, what I believe to be the biblical a view of sanctification. There are many people who say you can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you can invest zero into the realm of the Spirit you can live like the devil, you're still going to go to heaven, you can have no perseverance whatsoever and you're still going to that what uh, go to heaven. That's what I call the carnal Christian uh, theory or carnal security. It's not the same as um, uh, the um, perseverance that we're talking about. In fact, uh, I was a two-point Calvinist growing up, and I can assure you that two-point Calvinists are not two-point Calvinists, they're just inconsistent five-point Arminians, Uh, because the perseverance is a totally, utterly different thing than what we are talking, their view of perseverance. It's it's a totally different thing. And so during the remainder of this sermon, I want to distinguish the biblical doctrine with three false views of uh, sanctification. If Paul says that we're not going to get to heaven, we won't have eternal life without perseverance, then I think it's very important that we understand what that perseverance is and what it is not, in what ways that that statement is true and which ways it is not. And uh, let me quickly outline these views, and I thought I'd just do it in terms of percentages uh, because that'll help you to get a handle for it. There's other varieties of views of sanctification, but I think they can all be subsumed under these. There's the view that says the relationship of the Spirit's work to our work in sanctification is 0% of God and it's 100% of us. Then there's the other extreme that says it's 100% of us and 0% of God. Or did I just say that? The reverse. Whatever I just said, reverse that one. Some say it's 50-50 or some... Um, other uh, figure in between. Uh, there's kind of an interaction that goes on. And I believe that the biblical position is it's 100% God and it is 100% us. And just one scripture that I like to quote, but there's actually numerous scriptures like this I could share with you. In Philippians 2, it says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So we're involved. But the next verse goes on to say, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So he's saying the only reason you can have any want to doing right, any will to doing right, is because God's worked it in you. The only way you can do the work itself is because God is working in you. So we can only work out what God has worked in. Okay, so it's 100% God, but it's also 100% us in sanctification. And uh, let's just... Um, Uh, contrast that then with with the other theories. The first group says that while the Holy Spirit regenerates us, he may influence us, our sanctification, what verses 9 through 10 here speaks of doing good in the lives of others, our sanctification is 100% a work of man. And they will appeal to verse 7, and they will say, it's a man who sows. It's a man who reaps. Okay each verse here re- emphasizes the human's activity, and what they do is they emphasize the, the the will of man and the activity of man to such a degree that they see sanctification as simply the response of a regenerate person to the Holy Spirit's work within our life can you see that they 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 say it's um, uh, that the spirit has given us a A nature, but from that that point on, it's up to us what we do uh, with that. Verse 8 says, He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so the Spirit is involved, even in these texts. Uh, He's involved in sowing, he's involved in reaping. In fact, if you think of the analogy of the seed, there's two fields there. There's the field of the flesh and there's the field of the spirit. And as you're putting seed into either field, what, who, who gives life to a seed? I don't think anybody can clone life. I mean, can create life. They can maybe multiply it. But God gives the life. And if the, the, the field is the Holy Spirit, he's the one that brings the moisture and the temperatures, and he's the one that gives the life. The Holy Spirit is throughout uh, every aspect of that. In fact, uh, turn back with me to chapter 5, Galatians 5 and verse 25. It says there, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. He's saying it's not enough to believe, yes, the Spirit gives me life, he's the one that regenerates me, we also need to say, We must walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you flip over to Galatians 3 and uh, verse 3, he says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect or mature by the flesh? He says it's inconceivable. The flesh cannot produce anything uh, within us. Can't produce a a thing. Now, that's one extreme. The opposite extreme, uh, people like radio counselor Bob George, I don't know how many of you have heard him on, uh, on the radio in the past, he's not on the air right now, but he would say that sanctification is 100% God and it is 0% us. I remember on one of the radio uh, shows, there was a friend that was calling up, was really concerned that her friend was thinking of getting an abortion and wondering what she should say. And he says, Don't say anything about, uh, in terms of, uh, of condemnation or bringing the law, God's Spirit and His good timing will make this person sanctified. If you preach the law to this person, you're bringing them back under the law and it's worked righteousness. Sanctification is 0% us. You don't need to worry. It's totally passive. God's spirit will produce it. Okay? Now, there does seem to be some basis for saying this um, in verse 8. It assures us that the flesh can contribute absolutely nothing to our spiritual life. Uh, Christ said in John 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now, that seems to imply we contribute nothing. It is 0% man. But that's not what the text says. What the text says, it's 0% of your flesh. Okay, Nothing good can come from your flesh. And uh, that's the point that uh, he is making there. The flesh is the energizing principle of the old man and the spirit is the energizing person of the new man that enables us uh, to grow in life. And when we can can live in the flesh like the Pharisees or we can, like Paul said, we can live in the power of the Holy Spirit. A Christian can do both. And uh, so I want you to take a look at verse 7. You can see hints that this is wrong. Verse 7 indicates we are very, very much involved. Do not be deceived. God is not, not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And verse 8 says, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all especially to those who are the household of faith okay so they've taken certain phrases out of context in that particular theory we are very very much involved so we've ruled out 0% us 100% god and 100% us 0% god what about the 50-50 relationship you know where god gives us grace you know we there's kind of an interchange there we supply some things god supplies uh, some things um question is, if the Spirit's not supplying it, what is supplying it? Okay, and our flesh can contribute nothing. Paul says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Christ said the flesh profits nothing. And I think verses 7 through 8 make that very, very clear. The flesh only produces corruption. Um, let me read again that Galatians 3, 2 through 3. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect or mature by the flesh? And He's, he's indicating the flesh cannot produce anything. Uh, I've read some books that um, have said that the secret, the key to a godly Christian life is being more disciplined and they have outlined a program for you where you're disciplined in your prayer life and you're disciplined in your marriage and you're disciplined in virtually everything now the scripture talks about those disciplines but let me tell you something pharisees were very disciplined as well and so the question is what's producing these disciplines is it the power of the flesh or is it the power of the holy spirit okay our flesh contributes nothing to our sanctification Now, take a look at Galatians 2 and verse 20. Here's Paul speaking. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, the people who advocate 0% us, 100% of God, they will use this passage and say, see, you're passive. It's no longer I. It's totally Christ living in me. But you keep reading. It says, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you see that? There is an exchange of life. Christ is living his life through us, but he's doing it in such a way that we are very active. It's that Philippians 2, 11 and 12 uh, combination that we looked at uh, earlier. Now, let me just try to illustrate it this way. I read about a man by the name of Yates uh, who lived um, and quite a few years ago in uh, Texas. He was a sheep farmer, had a uh, quite a huge uh, uh, property, but he was having difficulty paying taxes on it. In fact, he was having difficulty paying for the food and the clothing that his people were going to uh, uh, going to wear. And uh, the tax department uh, was saying they were going to, um, what's it called, really? possess, yeah, foreclose on them, on him. And about the time that he was thinking of filing bankruptcy, the... Um, uh, an oil company, I forget now which oil company it was, came up to him and uh, said, we're convinced that there's oil on your land. May we have permission to drill? And he figured, well, I don't have anything to lose. Sure. And uh, he signed the papers that gave him some of the rights. And it was a very rich vein. You've maybe heard of Yates. He became a multi-billionaire almost overnight. It was producing 80,000 barrels of oil a day. And the question was, when was he truly a billionaire? Was it after he began tapping the resources or was it before he began tapping the resources? I think there's an argument that could be made that he owned all those riches. He just hadn't actualized them, right? He owned all of those riches early on. And uh, I think uh, the believer's life is very similar as, as this person had faith, as it were, in the oil company, and he began tapping the resources that he entered into the blessings of the harvest. And I think that's what Ephesians, the next book here, is telling the Ephesian believers. He says, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and yet you're not taking advantage of these things. You're poverty-stricken. Uh, you're not, uh, you're not uh, using the resources. And here's what he prays on their behalf. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Okay, they didn't know they had those riches, the incredible power that they had in Christ Jesus. And he's saying, I want you to begin... Tapping into that and I don't want you just taking oil on day one. I want you to continue to to um, uh, Take that oil and barrel it and and truck it out I want you to be living in terms of the Christian faith continually Galatians 5 6 speaks of faith working through love it's working it helps us to persevere and so we've done away with three theories. It's not 0% us and 100% God. It's not 100% us and 0% God. It's not 50-50 or 60-40 or any other combination. It's 100-100. And uh, sometimes people say, well, I just it doesn't make sense to me. How could it be 100-100? And uh, here's an illustration that I sometimes use to try to explain that. There was a man with a withered hand that was brought to Christ for Christ to heal his withered hand. And so there he's standing, and he's not since he was young, been able to move that withered hand. And Christ did not come up to him and say, be healed, touch him, and pull his hand out. Here's how Christ did it. He said, stretch forth your hand. Now, the man could have said, well, Christ, the reason I came here is because I can't stretch it out. you got to heal it first, and then I will stretch it out. And if he had said that, I believe that his hand would not have been healed. Instead, he had the faith in Christ's words, to attempt the impossible, and it was as he expressed his faith that Christ brought the healing. Now, here's the question. Who moved his hand? Was it God or was it him? And I think we'd have to say it's both. It wouldn't matter how much positive thinking he exercised in the world, he would never be able to stretch that hand forth. It's not positive thinking. It's not willing it to be. Unless God moved his arm, he could not move his arm. But the reverse is also true. Christ wanted him to express his faith. And until he expressed his faith in attempting the impossible, he was not going to have uh, his arm moved forward. Another illustration I give is that the Jordan River was guaranteed by God it was going to be parted. Now, we've got to be careful that we base our faith in the scripture because he doesn't Say that uh, you know, just because there's an open door, you know that you can go through. Oh, I'm stepping forth in faith. Some open doors lead to elevator shafts, okay? And you need to make sure the elevator is there to carry you down. Uh, But it was at the point that their feet touched the waters that the waters parted, and they were able to get across. And I think this is typically how God works in the area of sanctification. And I want to give you uh, another story. It's by Corey Ten Boom. And uh, there was a one guard that was particularly humiliating to her and to her sister. And she recounts a time when she was giving a, a conference years later. And after the conference, she sees this guard coming forward to talk to her. And she was just in an emotional turmoil because of the bitterness that still lay in her heart. And here's how she recounts her turmoil. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein, how good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and their leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrück and your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, again the hand came out. Will you forgive me? He erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking. <clears throat> I stood there with coldness, clutching at my heart, But I know that the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. I prayed, Jesus, help me. Woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into one stretched out to me and I experienced an incredible thing. A current started in my shoulder, raced down into my arms and sprang into our clutched hands. Then this warm reconciliation seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with my whole heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard, the former prisoner. I have never known the love of God so intensely as I did at that moment. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner was you. Now, she experienced something supernatural there. She couldn't forgive. She knew her flesh did not have it in her to forgive this person. She felt paralyzed But as the man with a proverbial paralyzed hand, she willed to do by faith in God's word that which was impossible, and it was God's reconciliation then that worked through her. That is a picture, I think, of sanctification. If we do not stretch out our hand, we will not be sanctified. We must work diligently our salvation out with fear and trembling. And the only part of salvation you work at is your sanctification. Because it's God who works in us, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And so, in a very similar way, God the Spirit prompts us. You know, in Galatians 5 and verses 6 through 21, it mentions all of these fruits of the Spirit. God the Spirit prompts us to repent of selfish ambition and some of the other sins. And He nudges us to begin investing love and patience. And forgiveness and other things into the other person's life. And we don't want to. Our heart rebels against that. We think, I can't do this. And God says, look, your jealousies and your outbursts of wrath are not of me. And I'm not pleased with those things. And he nudges us to do the impossible. And it's as we begin to step forward and say, Lord, I feel like I'm going to die if you ask me to witness. I feel like I'm going to die if you're going to ask me to give this forgiveness. How can I forgive after all that's been done to me? that God begins to give healing to our life. And by the way, Titus tells us that Christ did not die to make us comfortable in our sins. There's too many people think, good, I'm, I'm saved, I got my ticket to heaven. Christ died for the purpose of worship, we saw earlier in the service, but also, Titus says, to purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works we are not believers we are not saved if we're not planting and sowing and reaping we're not having any good works in our lives we are not uh, we are not Christians at all and uh, anyway uh, this whole issue of of the spirit taking over now here's the contrast Hebrews 6 warns us that if we give up we don't persevere we're not going to inherit the glories of heaven and we might think, okay, you can lose your salvation. But he doesn't say that. He goes on to say in the next verse, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you, yes, things that accompany salvation. So hopefully you can see this is so different from carnal security. Carnal security says you don't have to persevere to get to heaven, whereas this uh, theory, the reform theory, says, yeah, you must persevere to get to heaven. But the reason you're going to persevere is because it's just one of those things that accompanies salvation. It's not our perseverance that saves us. It's our salvation that makes us persevere. Can you see that? The two are involved in each other. Uh, Another way of saying it is you cannot separate the perseverance of the saints from the preservation of God. It's the preservation of God that enables the saints to persevere. Now, Hebrews 10 is another problem text for many Calvinists. It shouldn't be. Uh, He does say, yeah, if you don't persevere, you're going to be lost. It says, if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That's verse 26. Verses 35 to 38. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which is great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Now many people say that proves you're going to lose your salvation. But the very next verse, verse 39 says, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. And so I think that's the balance that we need to have in our Christian life. And I just want to challenge you. Are you persevering? in your Christian walk? Are you just not sowing anything? Are you not weeding? Are you just ignoring your garden of your life? God says it's a dangerous signal if you're not doing that. And God did not come here to make us comfortable. Some of you may be totally uncomfortable with the sermon. Well, it's the whole point of God's word. It's designed to spur us into holiness. And this point says, point number five, how is it worded? It says, we reap the full harvest of the good only if we persevere. The evil comes to harvest on its own. And we're not going to be perfect. We're going to have sins. That's why we keep weeding. And so my exhortation to you this morning, and um, I haven't decided yet whether, I probably won't continue on with this and applying it into marriage and other areas, but we need to persevere. And I exhort you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you do so until the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning uh, thankful that Jesus Christ persevered unto death and having loved his own, he loved them until the end, that you have said that there is no one who can snatch us out of your hand, and I pray, Lord, that uh, each and every one in this congregation would have a true faith in you and that uh, they would have within them The things that accompany salvation including perseverance and help us to be diligent diligent in our perseverance and seeking after you and investing planting into our marriage and planting into our into our children and our education and all of the things that we've looked at in these past weeks but I pray father we would also look to that eternal harvest in heaven knowing that we as we lay up now treasures in heaven if we persevere Uh, we will in no wise lose our reward. Bless this, your people. Comfort and encourage where that is needed and bring the prodding of your Holy Spirit in bringing a conviction of judgment and of righteousness and of sin. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our only Savior. Amen.